What's up all you bars, rhymes and life listeners out there? To celebrate us making it past the one year mark, we are raising money by selling our limited edition bars, rhymes and life t-shirts that are being sold only for eight weeks. All profits will be sent to Frontline who enable social workers each year to support children that are affected by the challenges that their parents experience. For example, domestic violence, substance abuse and mental ill health. Go cop your t-shirt and help make a difference. Links to our Shopify store will be in our podcast description, be it in Spotify, Apple, or whatever your usual podcast provider may be. One. What's up, what's up? It's your boy AT and your boy AE coming to you live and direct with another episode of Bars, Rhymes and Life, where we break down the bars, relate to the rhymes, so we can shed light on our lives. Yeah. Right. Welcome to another episode of Bars, Rhymes and Life. Alan, how are you feeling today, my brother? Feeling good. Children of the Internet, the remix by Future Utopia featuring Joey Badass and Dave. That was my pick this week, Alan. What did you think of my tune this week? I was confused at first because I was like, I've never heard of Future Utopia. Like, what is that? And I was like, oh, Joey Badass and Dave on this track. I, I've heard both of them. Um, yeah, I liked it. It's um, the second Brit we've had, I think, on the on the pod. Obviously, we've um, covered Joey before. I haven't actually listened to much Dave, to be honest. I know he's well-respected and stuff in, in British music scene. So, yeah, I was looking forward to hearing some of his stuff. I had this tune, I think, come to me maybe half a year ago or a year ago I can't remember what but it was a while ago and I had it just on the list ready to go and I just thought it it's quite it touches on some important points and some poignant points that I think I'm going to bring up on the pod today but I just thought it was also a kind of an interesting vibe to it as well like the production is very interesting to me if that makes sense it's not it's not any type of genre in some respects that that piano that dun dun it just, it just catches me off guard and makes me think of anything. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get started, man. Who's up first? How about first? I flash back to a time I was maybe 12 when we used to play outside and give granny hell, daily trying just to not end up dead or in jail. Now these kids brain dead and prisoners to they sell. Uh, I flash back to a time I was maybe 12 when we used to play outside and give granny hell. Daily trying just to not end up dead or in jail. Now these kids brain dead and prisoners to they sell. So I actually 100 snapped you in the sense that you captured everything. I didn't get that first line, but it's 100% snapped either way. Nice. Um, so I think my first thought when I read this was, ah, oh, I feel old. <laughs> like uh, Joey, Joey here is talking about flashback to the old days. And meanwhile, he was born in 1995. Oh, shit. <laughs> This dude is nearly 10 years younger than me. And you know, you know, that's how you're past your prime when you hear youngers talking about back in the day. <laughs> Facts. Um, 
I was actually kind of shocked by the next bit. Like you're you're trying to end up dead or in jail, and now these kids are brain dead with their cells and their their cell phone. And it sounds like he's trying to say the first one is better. Like it was better when kids had to try avoid going to jail and how to avoid dying. Like I know kids play on their phones maybe too much and you know spend hours and hours on social media, but that's that's got to be better than going to jail, right? <laughs> it's got to be that's got to be better than trying to stay alive. Um, it, it just kind of made me imagine like a parent somewhere telling their kid off, like stop playing on your phone, you know, go outside and, and join a gang like we did when we were growing up, you know, get get a real gun, all this digital crap. <laughs> No, I, I see what you're saying, but it made me laugh with that comparison. Nice. I, I, I kind of snapped you on a lot of that. I, I just thought it was a really nice double entendre to start the bars off. And I think they ain't just the kids. I think it's me too, Alan. Like I, I mentioned before that my daily phone time, or I'll just check now, my average daily phone time is five hours, 44 minutes. You know, I mean, let's fight when I had an 88 10 or an 80 to 50 I know for a fact it wasn't five hours 44 minutes then do you know what I mean it was like I was clearly keeping myself occupied doing other things other than being attached to my phone for about five hours straight and there's a huge tendency a little bit like what you were saying there's a huge tendency to mock both sides of the fence so if you're someone who's completely on your phone all the time or completely into computers and completely into gaming you tend to be ostracized in a sense like oh you're a geek you're this you're that whatever and if you're someone who literally goes, no, I don't touch any of this digital stuff. I, you know, I live a real authentic life trying to not end up dead or in jail that somehow you go like that person's just out there. Like, you know, he's just mental or something, whatever. And I just think that it, the most important thing is to try and find some balance between technology and things like the outdoors. It's, it's about getting balance on both of those things, because there's no way that you're going to be able to push technology away. Not, not if you're, not unless you want to be on the complete fringes of society. Then you have to accept technology in some shape or form. And for me, I think hobbies like sports are really good at breaking up life a bit. They, they really do help me break up my life and keep me off screens and stuff. I do believe it's important to separate your home environment and your hobby environment too. But what I mean is, it's not. I think like you could end up being at home for eight hours, like me and you work eight hours a day or whatever but then if your hobby is also playing computer games and guess what you end up just staying at home or staying on that same laptop and you end up racking 16 hours on the screen and I just think it's way more better to go to your friend's house and play a computer game than it is to go and just stick at home on your own and play on the computer game and I think that's what these guys are kind of alluding to in that kind of sense as well nice man you're up again the social dilemma tendencies on the thousand. Few raise their brows while most keep browsing. Seconds turn to minutes and the minutes turn to hours and then the hours turn to days. Willful lounging. The social dilemma tendencies on the thousand. Few raise their brows while most keep browsing. Seconds turn to minutes and the minutes turn to hours and then the hours turn to days with for lounging. So I just wanted to highlight the second line. When you think about what Facebook started, and what it amalgamated into. It's just crazy, right? Especially for people like me and you, Alan, because I know for a fact, Facebook was in like an exclusive thing to uni students in the UK. That's how it came down to me. It was like, if you are uni, you were only allowed to use Facebook. Like that's, that was like the kind of cool angle to it and the element and what separated it from 
the likes of like MySpace and High Five, it was like, it's just a uni thing, right? And now, you know, including WhatsApp and Instagram, Meta, as it's now called, 2.93 billion daily active users. It's just fucking crazy. Like, few raise their brows while most keep browsing. It's like, it's, I find that mental. Like, it shocks the shit out of me how quickly this company has done what it's done and achieved what it's achieved. I'm not sure if you know that they, they've changed their name to Meta. I'm sure you do. And they're, they're trying, the reason why they've moved to Meta and their name is because they, they want to try and create a Ready Player One type of ecosystem platform. I don't know if you've seen Ready Player One. Have you seen the film? I haven't. Oh, definitely check it out. It's, a, it's fun. It's not, not, it's not a massively serious thing, but it's kind of what I feel uh, Meta is trying to achieve. But the thing that freaks me out the most about all of this, Alan, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not on social media and you know all this shit about me and I don't want to bore you with it and stuff, is, you know, when you put these headsets on and these visors, you know, the Oculus and, and this is what like Meta mm. is trying to lead itself to, as you would in like any other, any virtual reality system. The only subtle difference is with Meta is Meta will be using the most advanced facial and pupil tracking system to hack your brain to levels that you have no idea about. Because that's what they have at hand. And the whole thing is, is that what scares the shit out of me about that is you can't, you can't control it. They're tracking shit that's so unconscious that they'll be hacking you in a way that they will be able to put things in front of you that you can't not deny and not like buy or not whatever because your eyes dilate a certain amount. Your face smiled a certain way. Your face went down a certain way. They're tracking all that shit on a level that nobody knows. And that kind of shits me up a bit, man. It kind of shits me up uh, massively. The thing I find funny about Facebook is, like you said, it started out as that like university student platform. Like It was just for students. You had to be a student. Whereas now, I'd be interested to see, in terms of their most active users, the demographics shifting old. Like, Definitely. You ask, ask a Gen Z if they got Facebook, good chance they haven't, and they never have had and won't have. So... Okay, I, I only really use it now just to keep in touch with my mum because she messages me on there. But when I do occasionally look on there, very, very few people active of our sort of age, which is interesting for them. I wonder what their, their, their stock markets think of that. Crazy, man. Crazy shit. Who's next? I'm up. I grew up in a good but changing age. My wife and kids, Damon Wayne's. I grew up in a good but changing age. My wife and kids, Damon Wayne's. I think change is one of the only things that you can guarantee is going to happen, like whether you're ready or not, and, and for better or for worse, the change will come. And I think you have to either prepare for it and, and go with it, or you get left behind. I think it's always good to remember the past, especially past mistakes, because if you don't remember them, you will repeat them. But I, I, never, wanna, I never want to resist change just because it's different. To me, that's the the fundamental kind of tenet of of conservatism, of like small c conservatism, resisting change. I'm all for preserving the past, but not not at the cost of progression. It's interesting that Dave says it's a good and changing age. Again, he's about ten years younger than us, and thinking about some of the things he grew up around, thinking of like nine eleven and the war on terror and then the financial crisis a lot of stuff happened as he was growing up but then also a lot of really positive things happened throughout that time if you look at broader statistics of like child mortality rates around the world 
So depending on where you're looking at like a narrow scope or a big scope, there's lots of lots of different ways to interpret. But yeah, interesting bar. Facts, man. And also, I, you just reminded me of something in terms of, I don't like anyone that really, really rates the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or my wife and kids. I swear to God, yeah, everyone uses those those two programs as proxies to like weigh up how good their family is in their house. And trust me, they're not fucking look at what Will Smith got up to. Fucking it's not true. <laughs> it's not it's not how work, life works. Life doesn't not everyone has a junior and a this and a that. It just doesn't work like that, yeah. So, you know, and there's not a Carlton in everyone's lives. Oh god man, I'm fucking sick of people telling me about friends, my wife and kids, and Fresh Prince saying that they're sick. They're fucking poor portrayals of what families. Just fucking delusional shit, man. Fuck off. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love an impromptu rant. <laughs> Who's next? I'm up again. When the youth club was everybody's favourite place, where if you spoke to a girl, then it was face to face. When the youth club was everybody's favourite place, where if you spoke to a girl, then it was face to face. So Dave was born in 1998. And do you know who was born in 99? MSM Messenger. Fucking hell. And MSN Messenger was shut down in 2012. Uh, so I think in, in 2012, the world really did end for millennials. And in, in 2012, Dave would have been about 14 years old. So he might have used MSN. I don't know. He, he, he may or may not have. But I think other platforms had surpassed it by then. But I can't tell you how many hours I spent on MSN every single day. It was like the digital town square for us. Like at the end of school, you'd say, you know, are you going to be online later? Catch up with you then. And it's not that we didn't go outside. We'd still hang out after school, go basketball practice, do this, do that. But back at home in the evening, we had this online space to just kind of hang out and chat. And I look back on it kind of fondly. With regard to this line specifically about speaking to a girl face to face, when we were in sixth form, so about sort of 16, year old, 16 years old, I guess, I had a relationship that was primarily born on MSN Messenger. I won't, I won't name the girl, but you'll, you'll know who it was. And despite us being in the same year at school, our paths had never really crossed. Like in the real world, that was. We didn't have any classes or anything like that. And so the first time we had a conversation was on MSN. And we ended up chatting on there every single night for several, several hours. And eventually became a couple and obviously did meet in face-to-face face in, in real life. But even after that relationship ended, we'd still occasionally have those long conversations online and again i look back on it as time time well spent and that wasn't the only relationship i've had that started online strangely enough after we'd finished uni so around 20 years old i spent a lot of time in facebook music groups especially around the whole rage against the machine online community and i considered those people online friends but again with one person a much stronger bond got built and and it turned into a relationship and again we eventually met face to face and you were there when we did at a nightclub uh, called fabric in london and that's in the past now but again it was a relationship that came out of an online space so i'm a little bit at, at odds with dave here in the i don't when he was growing up he may not have spent as much time online as i did despite being younger than me but i don't see the relationships that come out of digital spaces as being less meaningful like uh, i know tinder and all that has its bad sides it does encourage a more cutthroat 
kind of marketplace approach to dating, which it can be really rough and quite superficial. But I, I, at the same time, I have a friend who, who's married with kids and they met on Tinder. So I, I don't think it's all that bad. But I think, like you said earlier, it's about finding a balance and, and finding a, a healthy way of using it, which I guess is true of any technology. Yeah, I, I don't I, I In terms of counters for you, I just think how much is our MSN days? Nostalgia against what someone might experience on snapchat or this or that or all this stuff like you know what i mean i think it's the same for all of us and at the time i just think if you've had a negative experience or you've not been like i think there's an innocence to msn because you didn't have a display pics or anything like that so you couldn't really make any judgments if you were meeting someone online and talking to them because you couldn't see him or anything but my point well the point i was trying to make is you could be chatting and it's kind of leading on to my next bars. You could be messaging someone for weeks and then you meet in person and she don't like you or you don't like her and you're going to hate MSN. But because you've had some, some positive, potentially positive outcomes out of MSN, you're like, yeah, 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 then it's not a bad thing. And I just think there's more people in the world because I don't disagree with your point, Alan. I just think there's more people in the world that have had negative experiences of these social apps when it comes to relationships than positive ones and so therefore that's that's the way the narrative shifts whereas you i think your narrative is quite on point i think it, i just think it's an equal equal weighted argument if that makes sense yeah man uh, i'm up next kids lose interest parks turn empty social media's got us all less friendly kids lose interest parks turn empty social media's got us all less friendly I want to I want to tell you about the early summer of 2016. It's all history today. It's, it's a it's another time I look back on quite fondly, and and in many ways it was a, a calm before the storm. The UK was still in the EU, and Donald Trump's presidential campaign was still just a joke, with no chance of coming true. Some people even thought Bernie Sanders might be president. It was it was a crazy time. I went on a road trip around the US that spring and I met lots of great people. It was kind of a hopeful time. But most importantly, that summer, Pokemon Go was released. And the, the summer of Pokemon Go was one of the best summers of my adult life. I don't <laughs> the sunny days spent just wandering around town, out and about, catching Pokemon. And everywhere we walked, there were other people just doing the same thing. That's fucking and mad. Some random stranger would walk by and they'd see that you're playing on your phone and they'd be like, hey, there's a Gengar down there. And so then we'd go off and down that road and get the Gengar and like see someone else and then tell them. And it just it felt like a real community spirit. And in the way it was made almost more communal by the way that some people, mostly boomers, but other people kind of reacted to it. They hated it. They were like, oh, it's just so ridiculous. You know, idiots walking around staring at their phones, trying to catch imaginary monsters. This is ridiculous. But like to us, it was just fun. And, and it had the, the plus side of being outside. It really did get you out and about. Uh, maybe that should have been a warning of the divisive times to come. You know, all of the political turmoil of the last five or six years can be traced back to the great divide between people who loved Pokemon Go and people who hated it. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll leave that up for the political scientists to figure out if that's true. But I think it's a good example of, of not really social media, but of a social game that can make people kind of interact more and more friendly, and especially ones, especially ones that are built around 
going outside and interacting. It's a, I think it's a, a good example of, of tech being used in the right way um, when there are lots of examples of it being used in the wrong way. A sick take, uh, amazing. And probably one of the greatest insight correlations made of all time to the fragmented nature of the USA, <laughs> Brexit. It is all that we can root it all down to Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go, Go theory. <laughs> Um, sick tape man really love that and it's true that I think when you get augmented reality right and virtual reality right I think it could be it can be an incredible experience but as I said there's always there's pros and cons to everything if 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 Meta's tracking my pupil dilation I don't want that (laughs) shit man like fuck off keep stay away from my eyes they're bad enough as it is yeah if Gengar starts like advertising medicines to you you're like fuck off Gengar (laughs) (laughs) who's next bro you're up she's got a game when she types to me but nothing in person that ain't the type for me asking can we go for dinner yet in the flesh no conversation no intellect future generation of the children of the internet she's got game when she types to me but nothing in person that ain't the type for me Asking, can we go for dinner yet in the flesh? No conversation, no intellect. The future generation of the children of the internet. The thought of dating is so fucked up, bro. It's crazy, yeah? I'm telling you now. It's just ridiculous. You can literally interact for weeks, yeah? So you can just be messaging and messaging and messaging for the best part of anywhere from one to three weeks. You then pluck up the courage and and this goes for both sides so i'm not trying to say it from a me point of view i'm also trying to say it from a girl's point of view as well where you then go right maybe we should speak over the phone and then if you speak over the phone instantly you go this is dead i don't i don't like this person you can just tell straight away you just don't like it and vice versa like the girl might not like your voice or might not like the way that you talk and you might not like the girl's voice and you might not like the way that they talk right so everything's a certain way messaging and typing then you speak on the phone and so you go shit i just wasted three weeks messaging this person we got along but as soon as we got on the phone we realized there's no connection lost three weeks there gone then step like the next level to that is you go three weeks of uh, messaging you end up going on the phone and you actually think hey you know what actually we're all right on the phone we're chatting on the phone fine we speak for the phone for another two weeks then you meet in person guess what no fucking conversation, no intellect on both sides. It's not, I'm not, not for one second am I saying that, oh, this, this is, these are my personal experiences, but you go, fuck, I just wasted four weeks of my life, two weeks messaging, two weeks on the phone. And then when I finally met this person in person, it, it's like not worked. You could cut, you can shortcut all of that by just meeting, right? You can shortcut all of that by just meeting. However, if you, as the girl say, hey, we should just meet and go on a date seems like you're being too forward if a guy says it hey we should just meet and go on a date seems like being too forward people lock off from you people will literally just go guys being too forward cut it girls being too forward cut it or girls being too forward and thinking it's something else and it's just fucking a right old drama bro it is literally a right old drama and it's painful i literally think it's extremely painful hence why i don't blame the intuition that dave's getting because as you said he might have experienced a bit of msn but then on top of that he would have had older people telling him how sick msn is 
but him not really truly experience it for what it is. And then he's experiencing this stuff, which, you know, what these, these um, Gen Z guys are like and all this um, online dating apps and all this kind of stuff or whatever. And what's, it, what's the analogy I wanted to use? I call it the, the Aaliyah analogy. Because everyone says Aaliyah was like the greatest R&B singer of all time and she was unbelievable and she was at whatever. But she passed away before her time. Like she, uh, and it's the same thing. It's like, oh, it was way better then. But it's not way better then. You had no idea what it was then. But this is what you got now. And it's just fucking painful. It is just literally painful. Yeah, I am. Um, I guess, again, I'm lucky to, I haven't done a huge amount of online dating. I did, because like I've seen with some other, some of my friends that Tinder can be a real grind, like a real grind. And I've only ever been on a handful of, of dates on, on through apps like that. But I think you're completely right. I think the best bet is to take it offline as soon as you can. It just kind of skips the steps, right? Well, like you said, why wait four weeks to see if you have a connection in person? But I can see why people might be wary of that. It's a tricky game. Tricky game, bro. Who's next? I'm up. It's all changed and I'm seeing it now. You can meet a hundred people without leaving your house. It's all changed and I'm seeing it now. You can meet a hundred people without leaving your house. I noticed that the original to this song came out during the first COVID lockdown in the UK, which I thought was really interesting. It makes this line kind of interesting because we literally had to meet people without leaving our house. Like I actually think that technology really was at its best during that time it brought a lot of us together when we we literally couldn't meet in person whether it was like zoom or house party or whatsapp and social media at that time was kind of the only means of socializing without breaking the law i'm glad that we can meet in person now it's like it's obviously there's there's no comparison and it's always good to do that when you can but i'm also glad that we had those platforms at the time um and and there's been a slight knock-on effect of that that for example my job went fully remote during lockdown and it stayed fully remote which aside from saving me a ton of money on, on transport it just means i can spend more time with my family and again it's kind of it's partly the tech that's made that easier to do but it's also the, the shift in attitudes that had to happen the tech was already there but people weren't quite ready for yet they needed that shove to to get them moving so yeah it's, it's a it's an interesting line. You can meet people without leaving a house. That can be a bad thing, but it could potentially be a good thing. Facts, bro. Great take. Love that insight. You're up next. You know, everybody keeps their memories in the cloud. We finally found a voice and we ain't speaking as loud. People only want to listen to the sheep and the crowd. You know, everybody keeps their memories in the cloud. We finally found a voice and we ain't speaking as loud. People only want to listen to the sheep and the crowd. So going back to my meta point, it does concern me about how much data is actually being passed, shared, analysed through all, all this stuff on us, right? Because this is how we record our memories now. Most people record their memories on an on a iCloud or a, a cloud like your Samsung cloud or whatever. And the manner in which you record stuff and you know the way you behave on these devices can be used and it can be used to make you do things that you might not necessarily want to do from a macro point of view and a micro point of view and I just kind of say to myself like it's 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 quality over quantity there's a lot of people if I go through their phones the amount of shit that they got on their phones like 
don't get me wrong, a gif is funny and this, that, and the other, but you know, there's just tons of shit in it. And I'm like, how many of these these things have you got on your phone? Is a really authentic memory. A memory whereas where I compare I've got I still got this old 10 megapixel camera, digital camera, right? And I flick through the photos that I've taken on them, and it's like actually we've taken the time to be together, sit in a shot and say that this is the moment that we did here. Our phones just enable us to just go for quantity and not necessarily go for quality in some respects of when we try to keep our memories in and, you know, because it can all be saved on the cloud. I think it's hard to care about things anymore. And I, I want to challenge this last line. People only want to listen to the sheep and the crowd because I think people only want to listen to the crowd, but not the sheep. They want to listen to the crowd and the wolves dressed as sheep. And the greatest example of that for me has to be Brexit. Because you had people like Farage and X, Y, and Z, all these Tory guys, pretending to be sheep, pretending to be a narrative of we are Britain, we are sovereign, we are this and we are that. And actually, they weren't representing the crowd. They were literally just representing themselves and their own unique and very small percentile agenda. and everyone fell for it and i've been loving i I don't usually listen to lbc or any of this crap whatever but james (laughs) o'brien for the last three to four weeks has just literally had a rant every day about something in brexit that was a broken promise that was just just pure fallacy and all thingy and i was and people only want to listen to the crowd and those wolves dressed as sheep yeah 100 agree it's um it's interesting that because the because of the way that the social internet is is like designed, you end up in we call echo chambers or bubbles. But you, it's designed so that you connect with people who are more like you, and that you don't connect with people who are who are less like you. So there isn't as there isn't like one big homogenous group anymore. There are lots of small groups that can be harder to to navigate between. But like you said, when you're within one of those groups, like the Brexit crowd, and yeah, you can be manipulated, and and then going on from what you said prior to that the whole cambridge analytica scandal where they were doing data mining on information that was collected through a stupid facebook quiz and accurately managed to profile people's voting uh, preferences based on that and target them with adverts and it was successful it was really successful so yeah it's 100 percent doable and it's being done facts man it's so true uh, you you elaborated well on the point of that you know with regards to the echo chambers is you might initially think you've got a fringe mindset and that oh i'm actually i know i don't stand with these people get into an echo chamber and actually think whoa i'm part of the majority i was actually right all along i was this and, that. and you think you're part of a majority when you're not you know half of those things are probably bots as well right and you just it's crazy. It is fucking nuts when yeah. you start trying to break it down. That was one of the things I think I took out of the 2019 election. I can't even remember which one it was because it was kind of the last time I really tried to campaign in an election. Like I actually got out and went and knocked on doors. I had to campaign online. I was posting every day. I was really trying. And then I allowed myself to hope for a second that we wouldn't get another conservative government. And obviously we did. And at that point I was like, I'm, I'm not in the majority here. Like this this is a conservative country for the next few generations and I just need to like sit quietly and accept it, <laughs> which is a very defeatist attitude, but it's kind of where I am at the moment. <laughs> Who's next, bro? <laughs> You're up. 
Do you blame public figures and personalities for giving little kids a warped view of reality? Or blame all of the apps that make a killing on finding the sweet spot in your self-hate and vanity? Do you blame public figures and personalities for giving little kids a warped view of reality? Or blame all of the apps that make a killing and finding a sweet spot in your self-hate and vanity? Bars, in my opinion, Alan. I really like the way that this this set of lines has been put together. I also like the meaning behind it all as well. Like, I think it's a very clever take on real serious issues. They're probably my favourite bars of the track. And this is one of the reasons why I personally am not on any social media. And it's not me pointing the finger at social media or at these platforms or anything else. But for me, at times, social media does this. This is, does exactly this to me. It finds the sweet spot in my self-hate and my vanity. It makes me wonder about the way I should look. It makes me wonder whether I'm doing enough. It's what makes me wonder whether I'm earning enough. It's, it makes me wonder whether I'm going on enough holidays or I should go on a holiday. Like it, it does that to me personally. It's not me calling the actual the platforms out. It's just what these things do to me personally. And in some respects, many of these apps are designed, but they're not designed to make you feel bad or uh, what's the word? Let's find something that's going to fuck up with Abby's mental. They don't, they're not designed to do that. They're just designed to try and keep you looking at stuff and stay glued to your screen, stay on their app for as long as possible. So if you react to something in a certain way and stay on a post that's negative, it will reinforce it for you big time. It will just give you more of that kind of stuff. It's it's not it's not personal. It's not it's not like targeting you in the way that you think you're being targeted. But I just love the bars and I thought it was a really, really interesting take on what this stuff is, which is like technology. It's fine. I feel like we're having a political technology podcast today as opposed to a bars rhymes live podcast bro that's the nature of the track it's true as you say though the the nature of those algorithms with what you call unsupervised machine learning which is where it's looking for patterns and you're not telling it what patterns to look for it's just finding them so like you said they don't have to say i want to find something that's going to make you judge the way your body looks i'm just going to look at what you look at and then amplify that and and so it in a sense amplifies potentially the worst aspects of human natures whatever your insecurities are whatever you look at for longer the, the idea that you can't turn away from a from a car crash if they keep putting car crashes in front of you you keep looking at them and then i i remove myself from certain social medias twitter especially because i think it's one of the worst places for the for all of these things but even I use TikTok reasonably regularly and I can see the algorithm trying to figure me out and it will try and show me something. I'm like, I'm not interested in that, but I can see why it thinks I might because of my, why, why I might be because of my demographic. And then I, I actively try and curate my algorithm by saying I am not interested in this content. I try really hard, but keeps trying to push it sometimes. And it's, it's hard to be on top of it because like you say, you don't know what's going on in, with machine learning and often they don't necessarily know either. Who's next, bro? You're up again. Could you argue that it's borderline dangerous to take a picture of a girl's face and start changing it? With one quick filter, your nose looks thinner, your eyes look fuller, your lips look bigger. Your software's better and your phone knows everything. If anything, it's getting George Orwellian. 
Could you argue that it's borderline dangerous to take a picture of a girl's face and start changing it in one quick filter? Your nose looks thinner, your eyes look fuller, your lips look bigger, your software's better in, your phone knows everything, if anything is getting George Orwellian. I haven't read 1984, but from what I gather, it has been very, very prof prophetic with regards to what has happened in the last two decades. And Alan, I can't remember if this was on the Lost Tapes or if it's on an actual episode or not. But remember when we spoke about plastic surgery? And I genuinely thought we had a really great debate uh, between us. And if I recollect it properly, I felt like I was swayed towards your point of view after our debate. Because I was kind of cussing plastic surgery and saying, hey, you know, you know how you look naturally is way more uh, better. And just being, embracing, uh, being able to embrace your flaws is far more better than uh, a far more better mindset than you know getting this done or that done or whatever and i i just i don't remember the context of our debate but i knew you were opposed me in certain way and your explanation was great and it made me sway towards you a bit better like i was like hey you know what actually yeah if you're not happy with the way you look there's nothing wrong with changing it if that's what you want to do do you know what i mean and it was just it was it was a interesting debate that we had. I don't know what stats I was using them stats to, to to sell my argument, but with this shit, it confuses me even more, Alan, because there's there, there are profiles out there, there are profiles out there where people are making their nose look thinner, their lips look filler, and their eyes look bigger, all this stuff, whatever, and then they sell themselves as that online. Then you meet them in person. And they don't look like fucking anything like they, what they look in their photo. And you just go, why would you do that to your face online, knowing that you're going to meet me? And it's like, literally, I've, no, no, I know I've given the definition of a catfish. But it, it's true. It's like, why the fuck would you do it? I, I, I don't get it. And then I say to myself, would you do it and then get the plastic surgery to try and make yourself look like that? But people aren't doing that either. And if anything, it's getting George Orwellian up in here, bro. Yeah, I have to say, I don't understand it much either. Like, I understand the the fun of messing around with a face filter or whatever. I don't really understand using one, like, constantly. Like, I some people I, I know who always use them, and even with their, like, their, their children, when they post pictures of them online, and it, it strikes me as sli a slightly odd thing to do. Um, I, I don't I don't really get it. This, um, the George Orwell line, it's, it's interesting because in, in that, novel there are screens in every house and the screen is like a two-way communication device it's much more like obvious that the screen is watching you because there's like this oppressive government controlling everything but in the sense that there is a screen in every house i mean well there's more than more than one like there's um like four within my line of sight and yeah it it your phone does know everything and i guess one of the small things you can do is, is one bit of advice i would give is just know how to control that information and if that means for example using a browser that protects your information i use brave browser on my phone because it has an ad blocker built in or you use something like uBlock origin because it stops tracking you could get like a raspberry pi and build a, a what's called a pi hole which is just an a it's a kind of dns server that just directs all ad traffic away so there are little things you can do some of them are more technical than others but if you're worried about it you definitely look into controlling your data a bit more and hopefully in time legislation will catch up with that and it, you won't have to do it it will just be the default you know but we'll see i think we're at the end right we're done unbelievable track
a really interesting track and I think we definitely deviated from a usual podcast there because I think we got mad political, mad technical for a bit there. But anyway, uh, nothing but love to Future Utopia and all their fans. Nothing but love to Dave and all his fans. Nothing but love to Joe Badass and all his fans. Nothing but love to all the BRL listeners out there. Nothing but love to you, Alan. One. Peace. It's all connected, nobody's protected from business collectives, your info's collected. There are more active cell phones on the planet than people. The mobile phone is both a connection and disconnection device. It is typically placed between the human and its surroundings. Tuning the surroundings out. Children of the internet. <laughs> 